You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. Morning, church. <clears throat> How's everybody doing? Good? Uh, if you have a Bible, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. <clears throat> if you do not have a Bible... Um, if you, you can raise your hand and we can get you a Bible, uh, or you could, uh, turn your phones on, I'm silent, do not disturb, whatever, and, uh, open your Bible app. But, uh, physical Bibles are, are my favorite way to go. Is it dark in that corner or is it just me? It's just me? Everyone's looking behind them. No, maybe it's just me. Sorry. It's just like darker over there for some reason. Maybe it's just bright light. I don't know. Okay. Um, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 13, raise your hand if you need a Bible. Ushers will give you one. Physical Bibles are awesome. Um, they're free too. So you can take it home if you don't have one at home. Uh, impress your friends, leave it on the counter, things like that. Uh, so we've been in a little series, well, we've been in a large series on 1 Corinthians, but what we've been doing is taking 1 Corinthians and like breaking it up in smaller little chunks, um, talking about different subjects that the Apostle Paul hits on as he's writing to uh, the church in Corinth that he planted, that he started. And uh, today, well, we've been in, in, in this little part of, of 1 Corinthians, a little series on the, the church culture, like how the, the church has a culture. And what is the church supposed to be like? What are we supposed to act like? What is the church supposed to embody? Um, and so this, we've been in this little series called The Church Has a Culture. Today, we, we come to the climax, apex, the, the, the entirety of Paul's argument or his whole entire letter kind of crescendos right here in chapter 13. This is the chapter, if you do not even know what 1 Corinthians is, when I start reading it, you're like, oh yeah, I've, read, I've heard that before. I've heard that somewhere before. If you've never even read, read the Bible, this is your first time in church you've heard this chapter before. And so it's always, for me as a preacher, difficult to teach on passages of scripture that everybody knows. So... Let me read it and ask God for a lot of help this morning. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this is the love chapter. Okay, everyone? You guys ready for the love chapter? It's not Valentine's Day. I'm not talking about marriage, okay? So don't don't get all weird on me. You're like, oh, I'm a marriage love. No, it's not a marriage. It's just how you're supposed to live, just flat out. Okay, chapter 13, but let's start in chapter 12, verse whatever verse that last part is. And yet I will show you a more excellent way. That's how chapter 12 closes. And then Paul says, Let me show you the most excellent way. Here it is. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, And give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love. I am nothing, or I gain nothing, rather. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stealed. 
where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put, a, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we only see a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Beautiful passage of scripture, let's pray. God, I thank you for your word and its power and for Paul who you've inspired to to write it, to pen it. And we ask right now that by your spirit we would be given ears to hear. Those of us in here that have come in without faith, maybe very little faith, dwindling faith, just, like, just, just maybe an ember of faith that you would blow on it and breathe on it and cause it to come alive. Those of us who feel so hardened by the world's deceitfulness or cold because of its cruelty, God, I pray that the love of Christ would warm this room. I pray that Jesus, by your spirit, that your love would be manifested here. And it wouldn't be a vibe, but God, we would, as your church, embody your love. That today we would sense your love and that your love would fill this room. Spirit, pour the love of the Father abroad in our hearts as we look to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I don't, I don't believe, I don't think that spirituality is a high watermark in a city like San Francisco. I think San Francisco values spirituality. I think this is a very spiritual city, but I don't think the high watermark of our city is spirituality. I believe the high watermark of our city is love. I think everyone in here, in this room, and even outside of this room, I think we all want to be loved. We want to show love, and I think a lot of us want to be in love. It's what has driven our progressive politics and cultural ethos in this ever since the 60s in the city. It is part of what makes the city so great and so great to be part of. Now, what I think San Francisco often means by love, though, is tolerance. We are a city that loves tolerance, which is a part of love. More on that later. In one book I've been reading recently on the history of San Francisco, the author says that the bedrock of San Francisco is, he says, quote, based on a live and let live tolerance, shared sense of humanity and openness to change, or as one San Francisco's more flowery laureate anointed it, the cool gray city of love. See, the way of Jesus is the way of love. It's the Christian scriptures that say God is love in 1 John 4, 8. It's the scriptures that say to love with action and to love with truth, not just words, it says in 1 John 3, 18. Don't just love with words and speech, but love with action and in truth. It says make love policy, which the city has pushed for a lot, progressively pushed for in our nation. It was Jesus who said, love your neighbor as yourself in Mark chapter 12, verse 31. And not just that, Jesus commands us not just to love our neighbor, but to love our enemies. 
The Christian faith calls Christians to love even our enemies. Because Jesus says, what is it good if you love your friends? Because you love your friends because of the way they love you. Love people that can give nothing back to you. Even love those people who are your absolute enemies. Love those. But probably the most insane thing Jesus ever said, the most insane thing, probably the hardest thing to grasp, and I don't understand why Jesus said this. I don't know why he put so much writing on the church, but he said this in, in John chapter 13. He said, a new command I give you. Jesus is speaking about law here. He's like, okay, those other laws, all of them hang on this law. Love God, but I wanna give you a new command. This, this all commands will hang on this command right here. A new command I give you, love one another. Now, a lot of us would go, oh, that feels good. Like, love, it just feels, Jesus wasn't talking about a feeling. He wasn't talking about an emotion. He was talking about an action. He goes, love each other. Now, what does that mean? He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And this next sentence is why Corinth was in trouble. This next sentence is why the church in America, I think, is in trouble. Why this church could be in trouble. Why the church in San Francisco has been in trouble for a very long time. He says this next, and I kind of wish he didn't say this, but he did. He said, by this, by your love for each other and the way you love, by this, everyone will know that you are my followers if you love one another. I wish he didn't say that. I wish he would have said, by your t-shirts. <laughs> like you wear really good, clever Christian t-shirts and people will know you love me. And they will know my love as it's manifested all over San Francisco. I wish he said that. He didn't. He didn't even say your songs. He didn't even say your gatherings. He said the way that you love each other, this verse should scare every single person who is a follower of Jesus in this room. This verse should scare you to death. I started by saying that we all want to be loved. We all want to show love, no matter who we are. And we want to be in love but hardly any of us have seen real love. We've seen cheap substitutes of it, disguised as tolerance or as sharing or as sex or as relief or as promises. I was at the gym yesterday. This is going somewhere. Um, (laughs) And this guy was amazing. Um, This guy was on the uh, pull-up bars. And, or a pull-up bar, or whatever you call them, right? I uh, go there a lot. And uh, so he was, and he did, he, was, did, did a, he did a pull-up, which, I mean, is a feat in itself. Like, you don't think so. Those of you guys that work on, like, like, sit down on your, like, little, like, exercise ball at work, thinking, like, I'm getting a workout, just try it. Try a pull-up, okay? <laughs> or 10 or something. Okay, so he did a pull-up, and then not just a pull-up, like, chin, but then, like, went like this, down, and, like, pulled himself all the way up. Okay, that's just, and, I, and when he did that, I was like, whoa. And then he went, then he like swung his, his body back and then pulled his knees up to his chest and then swung back out and pulled his knees up to his chest and swung back out as he's holding himself up on this pull-up bar. And I'm watching him going, oh my gosh. And then he goes down, all the way down, and then he flips backwards, still on the bar, like hanging. I couldn't even do it. This morning I was on the floor on my ground, like how do I illustrate this? Do I like... He flips backwards, like his legs go between his arms, so he's hanging somehow from the bar like this. <laughs> and he's hanging there, and I'm watching him. And then he drops his legs down to the, almost the ground, and then he planks, drops his leg, and he's doing this, and I'm, my mouth is at this point going. 
I, I, unbelievable. And then I, I look down and I'm on the elliptical, like <laughs> holding the rails, like. listening to Beyonce reading my iPad. <laughs> I felt so stupid. I was sitting there just like, and I'm just going. And this guy is, okay, we were, we were in the same gym, but we were on different planets, okay? Like, that is not the same thing. What I was doing was not the same thing as what he was doing. I'm like, I, I, I came home like I went to the gym today and he goes home and says, yeah, I went to the gym today, but we mean two different things. <laughs> like they're not even the same planet. Okay, so we say things like I'm in love or I love or I've experienced love, but the love that is talked about here is like on a different planet, completely different. You're not even in the same category. We're all on like elliptical love. That's like, I don't even know what that means, but <laughs> true love. And what scripture is talking about here, true love is on a different world than most of us operate in or even experience. First off, our love is vague and overused. No one knows what love even means anymore because we use that word so much. It's been reduced to a feeling, it's been reduced to a romantic impulse, or that sensory overload, like when flavors explode in your mouth when you eat Mission Chinese food or something. Like, I love this. But that's not love. See, love requires definition and substance to be made meaningful. Love requires definition and substance to be made meaningful. We need the substance of love and the definition of love to understand what love is. Look again at what Jesus says in John 13 at the end of his life. He says, a new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you, that as I have loved you, if you have a physical Bible or a highlighter on your little app, whatever, highlight just that part, as I have loved you. This is the definition, this is the substance of the Christian love. This is the definition and substance. Jesus says, I want you to love each other. Like, well, how do we love each other? I want you to love each other the way that I loved you. And then he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my followers. When you self-sacrificially through your actions love, you will show the world that you are a follower of Jesus. He says, you will, they will know you by your love, not by your picket lines, not by your politics, not by your cool Christian gatherings, not even by your spiritual activity, but by your love. One of my friends emailed me this morning and he said, I think the church should be known more for mercy than for morality in the typical churchy definition of the word. If we're talking about love back and forth, he's like, this is where the church in the West especially misses it. The church is all about morality and, and what we think morality is, but not about mercy. The church should be about love and what that word love means is self-sacrificial mercy, self-sacrificial care. The church should be known for its mercy. The church should be known for its love. Jesus says this, if you love each other, you will show the world what I am like. If you love each other, you will show the world what I have come to do. If you love each other, you will show the world who I am. This is how much he places on our love, your love, my love, not just me as the pastor, but you as a follower of Jesus. 
He places this on all of us. No one can get out of this. You can't get out of this by volunteering at church. You can't get out of this by giving your 10%. You can't get out of this by going on a missions trip. You can't get out of this. It's a day-to-day, day-in and day-out lifestyle. The way you love, it will show the world Jesus Christ. And this is what I believe is at stake here in 1 Corinthians 13. This is why I think this is the climax of what Paul's saying. This is why I think Paul is so angry when he's writing this. I don't know how angry. He's get, he gets kind of worked up. This is why everything builds to a crescendo right here because they misused their calling. They misused their, their, the power of God in them. They misused it. It's funny how 1 Corinthians is read at weddings. <clears throat> a lot of weddings that I do, 1 Corinthians is read and I think it's a beautiful thing. And it's most times only considered in the context of marriage. Some of you guys in here who aren't married are tuning out right now. You're going, yeah, this, uh, when I'm married, I'm gonna love like that. That's not, the context of this passage is not marriage. The context of this passage is Christian community. You are to love this way, not just in your marriage. That's, that's a given. You are to live this way in your community groups. You are to live this way in this church. You are to live this way in this city. This is how you are to live This is what Paul is saying. I mean, it's true in marriage and it's beautiful, but it's really, Paul is writing a rebuke here. Paul is saying to Corinth, you think you're living the way of Jesus. You think you're spiritual, but because you don't have love, you are nothing. He says, because you don't have love, you're nothing. Paul is saying to them, and I think he's saying to us, that Jesus has entrusted to us with the command to love. And the reason why he's entrusted us with the command to love is that you and I can make God known. I want my followers to know, I want the world to know through my followers the way that I love the world. This is why Jesus said, I want you to love each other and the world will know. See, Corinth twisted that in thinking, well, if we have a great church, if we have spiritual power, if we speak in tongues, if there's great music, if there's great communion feasts, and there's equality in the church, then we did it. We're showing what Jesus is like in the world. We're spiritual. Church, this is, this is where we have to stop and listen to this warning as this church, reality in San Francisco right now. This is a warning to us. This kind of kept me up most of the night. <clears throat> I love this church. And I hope what I mean by love is 1 Corinthians. I 1 Corinthians 13 this church. I hope I do. I want to. I love this church. I think this church is a great church. If you're new and trying it out, I'll just say this is a great church. Welcome. Right now we have 300 women at a women's retreat. That's pretty rad. Five of them came back. Um, (laughs) We have a lot of, as Pastor Tark was announcing, we have a lot of community groups all over the city, all over the Bay Area, new leaders coming up all the time and think beautiful things are happening through our community groups. We hear stories every week about the way that people have given. A lot of you guys don't know this, but there's a lot of women out of the 300 that needed help, like benevolence. Like, I, I can't really afford to go right now. And normally they just call the church like, hey, we need, can, we, can you pay our way? And almost, I mean, we only sponsored a, a few, a couple people, I think. Everyone else was sponsored through their community groups. Like I can't afford it, and the community groups just chipped it in and pay, paid for them to go. We have gatherings on Sunday where I think God consistently shows up no matter who's teaching or who's leading worship. People are using their gifts at this church. There are eruptions of God's grace that are happening here all the time as we talked about like three weeks ago. I think that we're meeting needs all over the city. But if we do not have love, we are nothing. If we do all of these great things, our legacy will be doing, they did a lot of stuff, they didn't really love well. 
Here's how Paul says it's going down in Corinth. Paul says the church in Corinth had knowledge. He says, you guys have knowledge, good job. Meaning they knew the scriptures and they knew the freedom they had in Jesus. They knew that they were free in Christ, they had knowledge. Knowledge is a spiritual attribute. But you know what they were doing with their knowledge? Their knowledge led them to pride, which led them to the destruction of one of the brothers in the church because they stumbled him. Like, oh, and we started this, started this a long time ago, the very beginning of this book. Like, we have knowledge. We can do whatever we want. We can eat what we want. We can do what we want. And it stumbled someone and that guy was destroyed because of their knowledge. The church had wisdom, meaning they understood the mysteries of God. But it led them to rivalry and division in their church. Some people thought Paul the apostle was the best pastor. Some others thought Apollos. And they divided, like, I like this teacher better. I like that teacher. I like when this person teaches. The church had, had the, the gift of tongues. They spoke in tongues. That's a fun gift. I don't have that gift. I've prayed for it a million times. I told you this. I don't have it. Some of you guys have it. It's an awesome gift. To be able to speak in another language, I can barely speak English. So I would love this gift. Love it. God hasn't given it to me. But the church in Corinth, almost everyone had this gift. But what did they do with it? Well, they showed up to church and everyone spoke in tongues. And nobody knew what each other was saying. It's like, how was church today? Like, I spoke in tongues. Like, that's how church was. It was awesome because I spoke in tongues. But no one, like, what did you say? I'm like, I don't know what I said. It was, it's a tongue. I'm, I'm not supposed to. And no one's here to interpret. So everybody's like, oh, speak. I can't even fake speaking in tongues. Anyway, so everyone's speaking in tongues and no one knows what's going on. Paul's like, your gatherings don't do anything. Good job. You speak in tongues. The Spirit gave you that, but you're not using it to build up. You're not using it to love each other. The church had awesome communion meals, big old feasts which reminding them of what Christ did to save them. But the rich people ate the best food and had the best wine and got drunk while others who were at the meal went away hungry. In short, they had spirituality and it looked like their church was on fire, but they lacked the primary evidence of God's spirit, which is love. They had genuine displays of God's power among them, tongues and wisdom and knowledge. However, it became religious and lacked the supremacy of love. And this is so dangerous. It's almost like it's almost like dressing up as a cop. I know it's like Halloween and all this stuff, but like, like stealing a cop's uniform. You know, you know, remember that movie Terminator 2? What made that movie so scary? Was it Terminator 2? The liquid boy? Liquid guy? Liquid cop? Okay, yeah. <clears throat> I'm just spitballing here, so I have no idea. Um, what made that movie so scary was the fact that he was a cop and he was like, embodied a cop so he was there to serve and protect, but he wasn't there to do that. It's like that, like you have the power. It's like someone dressing up as a cop and using that authority to get your own way to steal, to sexually assault. I can't think of anything worse than that. The church was dressing up like they were spiritual. They had authority, they had power, but what they were using their authority and their power for was to abuse. This has been a lot of churches' problems throughout the centuries. The Bible does not condone it. The Bible does not use power that way. It's distorted people who use power that way. And Paul is speaking against it. If you're here and you're like, I'm so, I've been so abused by church and their abuse of power, that was people. God does not condone that. Corinth was gifted and they had, the church had momentum, but they abused leadership, they abused freedom, they abused communion, they abused gender roles, and they abused the gifts. And so Paul says this, if I speak, verse one, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. 
Now, what this could mean is this could be the gift of tongues. Paul's saying, if I spoke in tongues, you guys really love the gift of tongues. If I spoke in tongues, or what, another thing they prized as, as in Corinth was, was eloquent speaking. <clears throat> was people coming up with very beautiful oratory skill and coming up the sophists and they would have this, they, they, would, they would debate and speak really, really loud. That's what they loved. And Paul says, if I spoke with the tongues of men or the tongues of angels, if I spoke with the gift of tongues or I spoke eloquently, and if I did all of that, but I did not have love, I'm just making noise. Paul said, there's a sound, but there's no soul. You're saying something, but you're not saying anything. There's noise coming out of the church, but there's no heart behind it. Have you ever, has someone ever apologized to you without love? And they said, oh, I'm sorry. Without remorse, without truly understanding how they hurt you, and you just look at them like they're lying, and it only makes it worse. Like those are just words. You're just saying that. You don't feel that. You don't mean that. You're not remorseful. You don't know how I, what you've done to damage me. Those are just words. That's the kind of the implication here. They're just words. And without the context of love, they don't make any sense. Like your gatherings. That's what he's saying to Corinth. Like your gatherings, everyone's speaking in tongues, but no one knows what's going on. That's what, that's what you guys are without love. You're just symbols and clanging uh, and, and banging gongs. And he says in verse two, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have faith that can move mountains and I do not have love, I'm nothing. What Paul does here is he lists three forms of charismata, three forms of the gifts of the spirit. And what he does basically, he lumps like the, 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 the three most spiritual things that someone can possess. And he goes, if I had all three of them, if I had prophecy where I understood the, the things of God and I spoke the word of God, if I had mysteries of knowledge, meaning I knew God's word and I knew what to do, and if I had faith, not just any faith, but faith that can move mountains, faith that can do mighty works, faith that can heal, faith that can save, faith that can move things. People came to me and said, speak that word of faith and it's gonna happen. You do and it, and it does. If Paul says, if I had all of these things, if one person can embrace the whole range of spiritual giftingness to full measure, but at the same time, feel the love, that person would be nothing in the sight of God. You can serve, you can lead, you can be the best pastor, preacher, worship leader, author, whatever it is. You can be the best person in your job, in your career, and if you do not have love, in the Christian life, you amount to nothing. And then Paul says one more thing, just to, just to, just to drive the point home a little farther. He says, if I give all I possess to the poor, this might be more up our alley. If I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship, some translations say to martyrdom, to death. If I lay my life down for someone else that I may boast, but I do not have love, I am nothing. Now this is a tricky one. <clears throat> or he says, he says, I gain nothing, sorry. This, this is what makes this tricky. The first example says, without love, your talk is nothing. Like if you, if you just, without love, you, you can speak with tongues of angels, but your talk means nothing. The second example says, without love, you are nothing. But this one says, you gain nothing. Now, this is funny because if you gave everything away, you're not really looking to gain anything. You're like, well, isn't that the point? If I give everything away, I'm not trying to gain anything. Now, <clears throat> the, the point Paul is making here is this. 
if you were to do the most seemingly self-sacrificial act of, of, of spirituality, giving everything you have to the poor, or even one more extreme, if you give up your life for another person, if it's not done in love, if it's not done from a life of love, but for some perverted attempt on being spiritual, you will stand before God and it will mean nothing. So if that's true, if you give up your entire life for God and you don't have love, it means nothing. And if you give up your ti- all your money for, to God, to the poor, for God, and it means nothing without love. If giving away 100% meet of love without love means nothing. Imagine giving away 10% without love. <clears throat> Imagine like, well, I give away 10% of what I make to the church. If you don't do it in love, it means nothing. Even if you took it to extreme, you bumped it up to 20% right now. Like I'm gonna bump it to 20 right now. It means nothing. 100%, it means nothing without love. If giving your life away means nothing, imagine giving one day a week in the TL without love. Like if you give your entire life away and without love it means nothing. Imagine like one day a week in the TL. I gave one day a week in the TL serving ministry down there. Without love it means nothing. Without love, all of this is nothing. Now, Paul is arguing for love. And here's the problem. God had gifted the church in Corinth, endowed them with his presence, endowed them with his power and his gifts. And they were to use all of these endowments to show what God was like in the world. And the only way that this is done is in the way of love. Um, I had a dream last night. I'm gonna take a sip. My, I've been, have a cold, so my throat's messed up, so. Excuse me, everyone's coughing and whatever, so I'm not alone. <clears throat> had a dream last night, and it might be prophetic, I don't know. It could be for someone here, or maybe someone listening online or something later on. Um, and it was very vivid and it woke me up at three, in this, three this morning and just got up and started writing. And <clears throat> it was a vision, it was a dream rather. Old men have dreams, it says in scripture, so getting old. Um, it, was in, it, was, it, was a, it was about, uh, it was a gal, but, so it could embody the church, could embody this church. It was someone being endowed with a gift from God. In my dream, it was a gift of singing. Someone with a beautiful angelic voice and it was like at the very very beginning of creation God endowed this person with a voice and his gift and he endowed her with this gift and he said I'm giving you this gift to show what I'm like in the world but this person this, this, this person used their gift for personal gain They used their gift for themselves. They used their gift for their name's sake. I can think of a lot of people who are on billboard charts now who grew up leading worship in their church. This could have implications there. But I think as I was meditating even on it this morning, um, I think the dream might be all of us might have something to do with, I know it's me. And in this dream, like God was pleading with this person, like I've given you that 
to show the world what I'm like, but you're using it for yourself. I get, and he's like looking her in the eye, I go, I've given you that to show, what the, 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 show the world what, it's like, what I'm like. I've given you that to show the world what I'm like. And she kept on using it for herself. <clears throat> it probably has a lot of different implications. God gives us his power. He gives us his presence. He gives us gifts and we use them for ourselves. But how do we move forward in love? So Paul defines it and he goes, let me tell you how to move forward in love. Love is not abstract. It's not just a feeling. Paul gives it concrete definition. So here it is. I'm gonna read it slowly to you. I'm gonna read it out of the New Living Translation just to change it up, just in case you memorize it in a different one. Because <clears throat> I know everyone in here does and did and has. So I'm gonna change it up. Love is patient and kind. Now, let me start over. Just everyone, just like focus on these words. Wherever, whatever distractions you have, just listen to these words. It's what love is. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. The context for this beautiful passage of scripture is not marriage. It's Christian community. A lot of us read that and see that and like, oh, when I'm married, I'm gonna love like that. This is how we're to live in this church right now, church. This is the way of life for the church. And love may seem abstract because what Paul does, can you put that verse right back up real quick? What Paul does here in this verse is he makes it so stinking poetic. He makes it so poetic that it becomes almost abstract, but it's not. It's like love is patient, kind, long-suffering. Like, oh gosh. No, those are like real tangible words. They're concrete expressions that made its concrete expression in the coming of Jesus. Love is not an idea. Love is not a motivation. Love is not an emotion. Love is the way of life for the Christian. Love is the behavior of the Christian. Love is the action of the Christian. So anything done in the power of God, with the presence of God, in the name of God, for the glory of God, by the spiritual gifting of God, must be done this way. It must be done in love. It must be done with patience and kindness. Church, you have to be patient and kind. See, love is both active and passive. On one hand, a lot of you guys, maybe not a lot of you guys, may, some of, maybe one of you has the King James Version of the Bible. And the King James Version of the Bible has this verse beautifully written like this. Love suffereth long. That's the best translation of this word, patient. Suffer long. In that way, love is very passive. Love is passive in that it suffers long with people. People that bug you, people that get on your nerves, people that just won't get it. It suffers long. On the other hand, love pursues active goodness. It's not just like, oh, whatever, I don't care about you. Do whatever you want, I don't care. No, love actively pursues kindness. 
So love is both passive in that it suffers along with people, but active in that it shows goodness. A lot of times we're either patient with people, like I'm gonna be patient with you, but I'm not gonna give you anything because every time I give you something, you squander it. Or we're kind to people, we're like kind, but the second they double cross us, well, I'm done with you. I can't, I've showed you kindness and you, you, you spit in my face again. Love suffereth long and is kind, both. We see both sides of this love that Christ showed toward us. God withholds his wrath toward us in patience. He's patient with us in our rebellion. He's patient with us in our ignorance. If you are here this morning and if you've not, you've not repented of your sin and placed your hope in Jesus Christ, you're living in rebellion to God, your creator and your maker, and God's patient with you enough to bring your butt to church this morning. Well, I, I don't know why I said that, but anyway. <clears throat> Patience of God, not me, sorry. God's patient with you enough that you're here. Like God who c- controls the universe, who makes the world spin, who holds the very breath of your life in him, is patient with you. Some of you are in rebellion right now against God. And you're a follower of Jesus, but you're living in outright rebellion. He's patient with you. But he also is kind and that he actively pursues us. That's why you're here this morning. God's actively pursuing you. While we were enemies of his, not in that he hated us, but that we hated him, he died for us. We see the patience of God and the kindness of God coming together in Jesus Christ. And then it goes on and lists, Paul lists things that love is not. Love is not envious, it's not proud, it's not rude. It's not demanding of its own way. It's not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrong. It's not happy about injustice. So, when you're in Christian community and you're jealous of someone else, you're not, you're not acting in love. If you're in Christian community and you're boasting about how smart or accomplished or privilege you are, you're not acting in love. If you're in Christian community but you're too, and you're too prideful to get over yourself and sacrifice your comforts to serve, you're not acting in love. If you're in Christian community and you won't be part of something unless it's exactly how you want it, you're not acting in love. If you're in Christian community and you're always on edge and you're always grumpy and you're always negative and you're always playing the quote devil's advocate, like why does anyone want to be the devil anyway? Like, I'm just playing devil's advocate. I'm like, well, why, why do you want to be the devil? Like, why not be like God? I don't know. Like, <clears throat> if you're in a Christian community and you're always negative, you're not acting in love. If you're in a Christian community and you're, and you're always keeping a tally of everyone who's ever burned you or wronged you and in self-preservation, you don't trust anyone anymore, you're not acting in love. If you're in a Christian community and you secretly get excited when someone else fails, or they don't have the numbers or the success you have, you're not acting in love. You're not a loving person. You're not showing what God is like in the world. Even if people think that you're the most holy person that's ever come to San Francisco since St. Francis himself, just to be clear, he never came to San Francisco. Like, oh, he was here? No, he was not here. If you're not acting in love, you're nothing. Now, do you know why this list is negative? Paul goes, love is this, love is that, love is not this, and not that, and not this. You know why it's so negative in the middle? He starts off great. It's patient and kind, and it's not this, and it's not that. 
The reason why he's doing that is basically Paul is saying, you wanna know what, lo- what, what it means to love? Behave in the exact opposite ways you're behaving now. That's harsh. He's basically listing all the ways they're not loving. He's like, here's what love is. Um, love is not proud like you are. And it does not boast like you do. And it does not envy like you're doing. That's what he's saying. But then it says this. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And now these three, three, these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now what is this part saying? This is what this part is saying. This is what Paul is saying at the very end of his love, his love chapter. He's saying this. Love is the only vital force with the future. Love is the only thing that will last. Everything else will not last. Everything else will be done away with. Everything that you do for God or in the name of God or by the gifting of God will cease, but love will endure. Love is the language of heaven, Paul is saying. Love is how we live out the Lord's prayer on earth as it is in heaven. How do we, how, how do we pray, God, may it be in San Francisco as it is in heaven? How do we pray that? How do we live out that prayer? By loving. How is it in heaven? Love. It's the language of heaven. See, because in heaven, there will not be any tongues in heaven. We'll all speak the same language. Maybe Hebrew, no one knows. There will be no prophecy in heaven because there will be no need of prophecy. There will be no need of knowledge in heaven because you'll know everything. Paul says, you see in the mirror dimly now, but then you'll fully, you'll fully know as you're known. There's no, there's no knowledge in heaven, you'll know everything. There's no need for faith in heaven because in heaven we'll finally see There's no need for hope in heaven because all things will be made right. But one thing remains, love. And love is how the followers of Jesus show that the kingdom of God is breaking into San Francisco. Love is what is shown to us by Jesus Christ on the cross. It is often pointed out that in this paragraph, Paul seems best to capture the life and the ministry of Jesus. So much so that you could substitute Jesus' name for the noun love and thereby understand who Christ is in a personal way. So let me do that before we close. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. is not proud. Jesus does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. He keeps no records of wrong. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects, he always trusts, he always hopes, he always perseveres. Jesus never fails. Beautiful. But the point of Paul's writing is that because we're Jesus' followers and because we have his spirit living within us and because we have the mind of Christ, we should be able to substitute our names there too. Hang on, this is gonna hurt. Dave is patient. Dave is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. I can't go on. I'm crushed under the weight of that. If you put your own name there, you couldn't finish the sentence. You couldn't even finish the passage. This is why you and I need communion. 
We need communion to repent because there's many ways, if we were to put our name there, in there, in the substitution for love, we know we fall short. We do fall short in our marriages, we fall short in our friendships with our roommates, with our coworkers, and we fall short in this church. We need to repent, which means to realize and recognize and receive the fact that God is found true and turn and go, forgive me. As your follower, that you've given me your spirit and your mind, I'm not living this way. We need to remember Jesus, and this is why we take communion. And we also need to bring the life of Christ into our lives. We need to take communion and receive the life of Christ in us. So it's less of me and more of him. Because Jesus Christ is all these things. He is the embodiment of love. And what he's made his followers is the same thing by his spirit. And so, as John says, me and uh, one of the people from the prayer team backstage were, there's, a, there's an old um, tale that says that the, we're just talking about how there's an old tale about John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, whom he like laid on Jesus' chest, who penned 1 John in the book of Revelation. They tried, he, John was the only um, person who didn't die of martyrdom. They tried several times to kill him, but he just wouldn't die. And, um, and they would, because of all his injuries, he couldn't walk. And so the, the tale is, the, the old, the story is, the legend is, they would carry John from church to church to preach sermons. And they would lay him in the front. And all he would say, and this was his sermon, he said, little children, love one another. That was his sermon. That's basically the book of 1 John. Love one another. I'd say those same things to you. Little children, love one another. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for its power. And I want to be, we want to be a church that loves. To rejoice in the success of others in this city. To rejoice when we see the attributes of love made policy in our city. We want to show mercy we want to be known for our love. But Lord, that's going to take a lot of self-sacrifice. For us, sacrificing our comfort is very difficult and I've been so convicted of that this week. And so Christ, would you lead us to communion where we can repent and take your life into us and may there be more of you and less of us. In Jesus' name, amen.